there. I'm Jenna, and welcome to Butterfly Banter. I'm so glad you're here. This is a show to share my journey as a woman with Turner Syndrome, and a show to share stories of others that are affected by Turner Syndrome. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And now, let the banter begin. Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Butterfly Banter. So excited to have you all here today. Um, Very excited for my next guest. Her name is Gemma, and she's coming to us all the way from Australia, which is really, really cool. Hi, guys. Hi, Gemma. (laughs) Hello. Um, It's so great to have you on the show tonight. Exciting to be here. I'm so glad to talk to you. And I guess it's actually it's daytime. (laughs) It's nighttime where I'm at, the daytime where you're at. So, um. yeah, which is really cool. The time difference is so weird. Yeah, that's been um, one challenge with a couple different guests is that huge time difference. So I'm glad we got it figured out. And And I'm glad you're on the show tonight. Slash today. Just to let everyone know. <laughs> slash my day. Yeah. Just to let everyone know, it's 10.18 a.m. here right now as we're talking on Saturday. And what's the time where you're at? Um, it is 6.18 p.m. on Friday. Friday. <laughs> I'm at. It's kind of, it still <laughs> blows my mind. <laughs> so. It's so cool. <laughs> yes. Well, we're so excited to have you. Um, why don't oh. you tell us little bit about where you're from and tell us uh, your story of being a woman with Turner syndrome. Cool. Um, so I am living currently in a place called Dubbo, which is in New South Wales in Australia. So for people who don't know much about Australia, that's about five hours, maybe, oh, yeah, five hours drive west of Sydney. That's where I'm living currently. Um, I'm 29 years old and diagnosed with Turner Syndrome when I was 16 years old. I was just talking to Jenna before this call about the fact that I was born and raised in a little island state off the bottom of Australia called Tasmania. So yeah, and grew up there and then we moved around a bit, spent some time in North Queensland, some more time out in Western New South Wales. And yeah, I finally settled here about three years ago in Dubbo. And uh, yeah, I guess to give a bit of a picture of like where I live, um, we were kind of talking about it being like desert, kind of. So it's like really flat red dirt outback kind of scenery out this way and gets really, really hot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much that. I guess my diagnosis story, do you want me to share that? Yes. How that all came about? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So uh, I was living out at a place even further west of where I'm at at the moment where I went to high school called Coba. And, you know, it's a little mining community or surrounded desert. Living there with my parents, I was really sick with, like, I think, virus or stomach bug or something of some kind. So I went to the GP and uh, I just remember that he was like, uh, any possibility you could be pregnant? And I was like, uh, definitely not um, because, like, I haven't even had a period yet. Mm-hmm. And um, I was 16 by this time. So he was like, hmm, you know, you're, like, you're a little bit short as well. So yeah, <laughs> let's. Um, let's do some tests and just see see what we can come up with. So I feel like I was like a pin cushion for a while there. Oh yeah, <laughs> like that was oh my gosh, so many blood tests and um, scans and poked and prodded. But yeah, eventually he was like, oh sorry, there was a referral to the pediatrician. Um, I don't know how it works with you guys over there, but yeah, I had to go to the GP, the doctor first, and then be referred to the pediatrician who then did all these tests, mm-hmm. referred to all these tests. Mm-hmm. 
so yeah, eventually he was like, mm, we've pretty much done everything but a chromosomal test. And he's like, this one, I think it costs from memory, it costs a fair amount. Like this was over 10 years ago now and it costs like 500 Australian dollars to get this test. Holy cow. From memory. Wow. Yeah. So they did that and then, yeah, obviously came back to that. I have classic, not mosaic. So yeah, they uh, then did some more scans on my bones just to see if growth hormones were going to do anything by this stage, mm-hmm. um, which obviously being 16 years old, they were like, mm, there's not really a point. Yeah. I was pretty blessed actually, like pretty dead on five foot nothing without without any having any growth hormones or anything like that. But that's because both my parents are stupid tall. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess from there when they worked out the growth hormones didn't work, they put me on oh my gosh, is it progest progesterone first yeah. only? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then went to the full hormone replacement therapy, did a bunch of scans on my heart and kidneys and everything and just checked that all my organs were all good. That's which, good. Um, pretty blessed and was lucky in that department. My GP at the moment, she's pretty good. Like She wants me to get the regular regular checks just to make sure. But yeah, so pretty much yeah, the biggest two things that affected me from Turner's was my height and my, my fertility. So other than that, for the most part, oh, I got lots of ear infections. Did you get lots of ear infections growing up? Like we, I had to have so many grommets and to get ear infections terribly growing up. I don't know about you. Yeah, actually, when, was I, a- when I was younger, that was a huge, a huge thing for me too. And even as I've gotten older, that's kind of gotten better, I guess you could say. But still, if I do get really, really sick, which I thankfully, I don't do very often but when I do it goes straight Uh to my ears like so yeah yeah, it's I mean I've had other you know I've had bronchitis and you know other illnesses but man for the Mm -hmm. most part yeah it's still if I'm gonna get sick it goes right to my ears so yeah Yeah, I definitely know what you mean (laughs) yeah so that was a big one growing up for my health but it was just funny to me like one thing I did want to say I don't know if anyone else relates to but it was just really funny for me being diagnosed so like well, at 16 so growing up not knowing it was really odd an odd experience to have this diagnosis kind of confirm all these little things that like kind of piece together like a puzzle and should have been like oh these are symptoms like I just remember like being measured for costumes and stuff when I was in musicals growing up and people being like you've got really broad shoulders <laughs> or like yep. um, people looking at my skin and being like, oh, you're covered in moles. Like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, you're really short. Like, oh, oh you're really flat chested. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just all these things that should have just been like a, like, you know, flashing the, the ear infections, like mm-hmm. all these different symptoms that once I got that diagnosis, it was like, ah, oh, okay. Like, yeah, all the light <laughs> bulbs started going off. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what yeah, did the doctors, so, when they told you that you had Turner's, I mean, what, what kind of conversations, since you were 16, mm-hmm. what kind of conversations did they have with you about it? Right. You know, I mean, what uh, what kind of things did they tell you to expect or stuff like that? I, I don't feel like, and again, I don't know if this is many other people's experiences, but they, it seems like a lot of doctors over here don't know or have a lot of information about it. So my pediatrician, like he was great for picking up on it, which was fabulous, but he sort of didn't know, seem to know a whole lot about it. So then it was a referral to an endocrinologist. Right. Um, and it wasn't until I got to the endocrinologist that I felt like, okay, someone actually knows what they're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, the endocrinologist really, really explained it quite well to obviously 
obviously keep an eye out on my heart was the biggest concern that seemed to come from endocrinologists, doctors, pediatricians, all that kind of stuff when they find out about tennis syndrome. It's like, okay, we're going to check on your heart, make sure that's okay. And, you know, constantly be checking on that, keeping an eye on it. Yeah, and um, even if everything's and- fine, it's definitely good that they're keeping an eye on it. I ended up having heart surgery when I was 10 because I oh, had goodness. a because I had a coarctation of the aortic valve, which is very common mm-hmm. in turners. Mm-hmm. And so they they went in and fixed that and they put in um, a graph, graph or so, I think that's what they called it, like a graph. And the funny thing is, is when they did that, I grew like within, I don't know, maybe like the next year after they did that, I grew an inch mm-hmm. because a coarctation is where like the aorta is normal sized, you know, just just mm-hmm. fine and then it gets real thin and then mm-hmm. it kind of goes out to normal size again is how they kind of explained yeah. it to me i wasn't getting proper circulation once they did that surgery and i had proper circulation like it made a huge difference for me i mean i've only made it to a whopping 411 <laughs> but um <laughs> but i you know That's it just crazy. yeah i just had such bad circulation from that coarctation of the aorta that finally your body I, wasn't growing it was yeah Trying to focus, yeah. And once I finally yeah. had the right oh, that blood makes so flow, much sense. yeah, when I had the right blood flow, it was like, whoa, <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah. the heart that is definitely something to watch for. Yeah, for sure. So um, you know, I'll be keeping an eye on it, even though I've had the all clear, but it doesn't hurt to keep an eye on it. The other thing was, you know, they did ultrasound scans of my ovaries, just checked what was going on to my yeah ovaries and uterus and stuff, and. <sighs> God, this was so long ago. I don't know if I'm saying this technically correctly, but they were talking about that there's ovarian streets there. But mm-hmm. basic, basically, no, basically no ovaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they call a rudimentary uterus. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't really know the ins and outs of what exactly that means. But yeah, so they obviously explained that that I'd need hormone replacement because I wasn't going to, my body wasn't going to create estrogen on its own. Right. Um, so they explained that, yeah, I'd be having to take a pill to um, get essentially a period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to level out hormones and um, keep the body balanced and maturation in the body and all of that kind of stuff. So that was a big, that was one of the things they sort of explained that I was going to have to deal with, obviously, with fertility and stuff like that. And what else did they talk about? Bones. Yeah, bone density. Yeah, they yep. they, they checked for bone density mm-hmm. and, you know, just warned that osteo could be something to look out for. And I have fractured my ankle and my wrist twice. My ankle once and my wrist twice. So my bones aren't fragile as such, but they're, you know, it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, but yeah, I think those are sort of the main ones. Yeah, really it was the heart yeah. that they were majorly concerned about and fertility and replacing those hormones. So finding yeah. out at 16, finding out at that age, you know, you're right in your prime of teenage years and finding out that you wouldn't be able to have children, finding out that late, how do you feel that affected you and and how have you kind of been able to come come to terms with it because there's obviously lots and lots of butterflies out there and we all have that same the same problem you know infertility mm-hmm. and it's a huge issue i feel fortunate because my mom was very open with me like my whole life 
about mm-hmm. not being able to have children. So I just kind of yeah. grew up knowing and it, it wasn't a huge issue for me, but I can imagine as, you know, not finding out until you're 16, I can imagine that was huge, huge news and, you know, probably had a huge effect. And I just wonder, you know, how you've been able to kind of come to terms with that finding out at such a important age and then kind mm-hmm. of what, how you've gone from there. Um, understanding what that means for you. I guess it was it was pretty shocking. Like I remember like having gone through my own grief process over it when I was 16. And like I was just lucky that I was surrounded by a really, really good support network. Like That's so important. You know, my friends at the, oh, my friends at the time were so like I knew I could talk to them and they, they cared and they listened and they were inclusive and they, you know, really, really were someone to lean on. But also my mom, she took it harder than I did, I think. Yeah. I think she was really worried about me and how I was going to take it to the point where she sort of got herself into a little bit of stress and upset over it. And, you know, I guess she just wanted me to be okay. Yeah, of course. My dad was my dad was quite blunt about it. And I probably needed someone to be at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely my mum was a huge support, my grandparents, friends. Having that support network was massive. But I guess like, how did I deal with it? I think being 16 at the time, like as you said, growing up always knowing, that still doesn't make it suck any less. Like, I, right. you know, obviously it's still hard. Right. But mm-hmm. I guess finding out at 16, I think the thing was that I was always going to, I don't know how to put it, like, I think it, you always took for granted that, hey, you could just have babies at any stage, like, yeah. you know, you sort of expect that that's going to be something that everyone else can do, so you're going to be able to do. Right. Um, and that that sort of, and like, I grew, grew up loving, like, baby dolls and, like, kids and, like, oh, that was just always yeah. me, like, wanting to be a mum. So then yeah. it was like, oh, shit. Like, you know, it really, really hit me in that sense because I was like, that's something I always really wanted and really always thought I'd be able to do. Like, just assume that would be a part of my life. And then, so yeah, I had to go through my own grief process about it. But I think a couple of things that helped me was, number one, I, I remember actually saying to myself, like, wake up to yourself. You are 16 years old. You're in no rush to have children right now. Like, right. Yeah. This is a, this is a future Gemma problem. Like, right. Exactly. You know? Secondly, I think having everyone around me, I just, just explain and talk through the options. Mm-hmm. So like just to know that, okay, just because you can't lie down and make a baby, that doesn't mean that there's not adoption, there's not fostering, there's not IVF, there's not donors, there's not all of these other options. To know that that was there was really comforting and to have to understand that. That's the biggest message that I hope that I can get across to other butterflies because I've been fortunate enough to, I have two adopted children. And yeah. the biggest message I want other butterflies to hear is that there are are so many so so many different ways to make a family and mm-hmm. every family can look different and is formed different and it's all okay so even yeah. You know, I know that it's super hard to have that feeling of, well, I couldn't, you know, make have this baby on my own. But Mm -hmm. I can tell you nobody could change my mind about the fact that my two adopted kids are mine, period. Mm -hmm. They were they were meant for me. They were meant to come into my life. They were Mm -hmm. meant to me meant for me. And there's no there's just no question about that. Yeah. You know, even though I didn't didn't have them myself, they are still my children, and and I love them just as if I would have had them myself. Yeah, and I think that I mean I 
I think I was a little bit worried about that to start with when I first found out, like, oh, my gosh, is it possible to love a child that's not biologically yours? Yeah. Which now to me seems ridiculous because yeah. <laughs> I've got, like, my best friend's children who my godson and I, I call her my goddaughter even though she's technically not. Um, yeah. My godson and his sister who, you know, are basically like a niece and nephew for me. I've got my three nephews, mm-hmm. my niece, you know, all these kids that are in your life and you know I work with younger clients and stuff so like you nobody can ever say that just because it's not blood or it's not biologically yours or a child that you birthed that that means anything about that that makes that child like you said any less yours or that you care any less at all because like I would literally do anything for those absolutely those human beings like you know Yeah. yeah it doesn't make any difference it's all about the connections, not about, you know, it's not about necessarily blood or anything else. It, it's about the connections that you have and, you know, in your family. And I mean, I have family that I don't even, you know, really claim. I know that sounds horrible. And then, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and then I have friends that I consider family, you know, I mean, yeah. my best friend has been in my life for over 30 years. She's family to me, <laughs> you know, even though we're not, oh, yeah. you know, so family is, yeah. is so widespread and can mean so many different things for everybody. So it's what you make it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that was the biggest thing is just that knowing and understanding the options and having to come to terms with that. I think the weirdest thing that I did or probably the thing, and I don't know if anyone else relates to this either, but I really threw myself into my career once I found out like a family is not going to be easy. Right. You know, I focused, really focused at the end of high school and yeah, ended up going to university and threw myself into my career and stuff like that. And What career field so are you in? I have a criminology and a law degree. Awesome. But I'm a case worker. So I'm pretty much like sort of in the social work field. I work with juvenile offenders that are on probation and parole. Oh, okay. So yeah, we pretty much make plans and goals about how to better their life so that they don't keep going down the path of reoffending. And, you know, sometimes I have to write reports to the court if they're breaching orders while they're out in the community or like their conditions while they're out in the community or write reports to the court about their life so they can be sentenced on a bit more of like a fair kind of picture of what's happened for them in their life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's been an awesome career field for me to get into because I can tell you dealing with a caseload of teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> it, wow. keeps, it keeps you busy enough. You don't need children of your own. <laughs> right. Um, well, and if you know, let me tell you, if you know how to deal with teenagers, you you are like so amazing in my book because mine are both teenagers and I am still trying to figure them out. So we, <laughs> we maybe we need to have a separate call and I need to talk, oh. talk to you on how to deal with teenagers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no. What age are yours? How old are yours? Oh, um, sorry, 15 and 16. So they're right there yeah, at that, yeah. that primo age. One, my son just Crucial. started driving and he's getting a little more independent and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just can say, I just, I just want them to get through high school. (laughs) That's where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, come on, (laughs) we can do this. (laughs) All you need to do is just finish. Yeah. They're really, I, we are very fortunate. They're, I make it sound like they're, you know, hard, but there's always hard moments with teenagers and, and truly I am very blessed. They're really good teenagers, but woofta. Yeah. Nothing can prepare you for teenage years. (laughs) No. No, it's crazy. It's a crazy time in their lives. Like it really is. I think, yeah, they're just going through all of this. Like it's that trying to 
one thing that I noticed is this fine line between, you know, you know, you know better, Janet, than they do at 15 and 16, but like you've got to let them make their own mistakes and you've got to let them make their own calls and mm-hmm. you've got to like, like give more room on the leash, so to speak, to allow them to do things and be independent and yeah. um, autonomous and stuff. But oh, like even though you know they're going to make terrible decisions. <laughs> They have to learn what consequences are, you know, how else, you know, unfortunately, you know, you have to learn that there are consequences to actions. And so, yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. You can't be there with them all the time, holding their hands and bubble wrapping them. And <laughs> yeah, it's oh, it's hard though because you want to because you do know better. <laughs> yes. So it's really hard, but yeah, they've got to learn for themselves. Sometimes you don't learn until you learn for yourself. Well, you're you're amazing um, to be working with those teenagers, and especially with teenagers that you know obviously must be dealing with a lot of other things going on in their lives, and you know struggles mm-hmm. and challenges, and so it takes a very very special person to be able to do that that's amazing thank you yeah no it's it's really cool it's an awesome area to work in never ever a dull moment and um you know you do see some really like see some sad things and hear some sad stories but you just hope that you can be a little bit of a uh, advocacy for change in their life and like plant that seed for them to want better for themselves and yeah think about the consequences of their actions yeah that's kind of yeah you are absolutely changing their lives and i i'm you know an elementary school teacher so you know i feel like i change children's live lives in a way as well but you know you're you're on a whole other plane of oh, you know, don't, changing I don't even say that because oh <laughs> you know I think about the influences in my life and you know teachers teachers are right up there again if it wasn't for um, the encouragement support of my teachers I wouldn't have found myself into my career the way that I did so you know I have you know a lot to owe to my teachers from elementary right through to high school there's some teachers that really stick out to me as some really protective people in my life and positive influences and factors that they'll never know just how much of an impact they made on me so teachers really Um, yeah don't get enough credit for what they do they don't you know you guys are awesome well I appreciate that it's it's definitely what you do working with kids and what I do working with kids you know it's all challenging and it's different you know in unique ways and it's all important work period I mean being in children's lives is just important work it's very rewarding and hard and all of the things (laughs) for sure massively yeah massively one thing one other thing I did want to talk about in terms of me dealing with it so going back to you know finding out that the infertility at 16 Mm -hmm. and then going oh you know that's future Gemma's problem I'm now sort of 29 and single never really been in a long-term relationship and I, I see a lot of butterflies talking on forums about struggling with that so yeah I just wanted to say from like a single a butterfly who's single's perspective that and highlight that that probably fear that I'm sure a lot of other butterflies that are single and at this age probably think of like okay if I get in the dating game like I always question like when do I tell this person about my fertility issues and my TS and at what stage is that something you become open about and am I going to be rejected because of that is obviously a massive fear but so I don't know if you wanted to speak on that a little bit with your partner Jenna like how you when you told him what his reaction was. In high school I had a couple of long-term relationships but I think the conversation 
conversation came up that I had Turner syndrome, but I would have yeah. to say that my my husband is probably the first one that I that I really explained it to about yeah. the infertility. And I just I know it sounds so cheesy. And if you listen to the episode, because he's on an episode with me, and we talk about our story, but um, I just knew he was the one. <laughs> you know that cheesy. <laughs> and so um, I knew. He, I knew I had to have that conversation with him fairly early because mm-hmm. I just fell head over heels and um, hadn't felt like that before with anyone and, you know, had mm-hmm. different relationships. And this, it was definitely different. He comes from a fairly big family. He, there's five, He's one of five siblings. So, you know, I was like, hmm, I'm worried that he's going to, you know, expect to have a big family of his mm-hmm. own. And I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I'm not from a big family. It's just, I have a couple of step siblings and I only grew up with one of them. So I didn't come from a big family, but he kind of did. So I was like, oh gosh, is he going to expect me to have this huge family? So five kids. um, Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, I told him fairly early in in our relationship and I was just very open and honest. And I was like, you know, if you want a big family, I'm probably not your girl. (laughs) You know, I just kind of said it like that because you know, I have Turner syndrome and this is one of the things that I have to deal with, with Turner syndrome. And so he, you know, I just, I couldn't have got any luckier because he was so understanding and he was just like, okay, you know, then we'll adopt. Like he didn't even bat an eye and he was just fine. So we still, after we were married for a few years, we still went through infertility testing because I just for myself, I wanted to mm-hmm. know for sure what my options were because I uh, know yeah. that I know that there have been Turner syndrome women that have successfully carried children through IVF and stuff like that. Yeah. And so even though I knew all my life I couldn't have kids, I still just I had that little teeny tiny, you know, little like flame of hope that maybe, you mm-hmm. know. And so we did go ahead and do the fertility testing. I my diet diagnosis was basically like yours, like uterus was not going to work, ovaries not working, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and we could have done IVF, but I would have been such a high risk pregnancy that it would just, it would have been too much on me and my body. And my husband said, I'm not going to have you be that much at risk and lose you to have a baby. That just Mm -hmm. does not make sense, you know? Because it would have been so risky. So he's like, we were like, okay, nope. So we finally had that official door closed, even though I knew, I knew it. But in my heart, there was... Having that confirmation. Yeah, I just, I still, I guess I still needed that confirmation. So um, we we went through all that and yeah, we just, we, we closed that door. We started the process for adoption and yeah, the rest is kind of (laughs) history. We started and we now have two adopted kids. So I, I was very, very fortunate. And I, I do want all the butterflies out there to realize that the right person will come along who will understand Mm -hmm. and will want to have a family in any way that you and your partner decide. So they're out there (laughs) and it's, it's possible. I know a lot of Turner's butterflies get really down about that, about finding. About that for sure. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there is hope. Yeah. <laughs> there is. I, pro- I promise. <laughs> well, I promise, promise. Well, yeah, he sounds awesome. And I think that that, you know, and like you said, families can come in all sorts of structures and ways. And I mean, I'd like to have a conversation with you separately about like the adoption process over there. And, um, oh, yes, absolutely. you know, in Australia, I think it's pretty like, you know, adoptions aren't occurring very regularly here, like it's pretty limited. But yeah, I just think like there's all these options like adoption or like, you know, I sometimes think about what if I ended up with someone who already had kids and had, See, you know, exactly. had made their family and now he's moved on and then I can sort of raise them in a step parent kind of yep. capacity or, oh, there's just so many different like scenarios, and, you know, yeah. Like, Scenarios, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think I'll, I'll probably do the same thing as you, Jenna. Where, like, obviously, if it comes down to it, and I, I find my person, then we'll probably go and just, you know, make sure of the diagnosis and just exactly like you did confirm. Mm-hmm. Okay, is this possible at all to do IVF? Like, that's another option that I've seen. Like a lot of butterflies. Well, and have done to have children. And it's so. so expensive too. Not only is it risky. Yeah. Holy moly, is it expensive? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. I Absolutely. mean, it's, it's, it's something you really have to be committed to. And it's something that, you know, other mm-hmm. butterflies have been successful with. So it's, it's yeah. out there. It's an option. And, you know, I definitely sure. say go for it if you have the means and, and mm-hmm. all of that. And, and I'm not meaning to say that, that every butterfly, that it obviously it has worked for other butterflies. So it, yeah. I, it just wasn't going to work for us. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not going to work for you, possibly. So just look into every, every option option that you can. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. They just did a, uh, in Australia, I'm pretty sure it used to be like $10,000 for a cycle of IVF. And um, now it, gosh, I'm probably going to put this the wrong information out there, but I think it might be like subsidized now by our um, Medicare oh, wow. um, fund to the point where it's like $1,000 wow. a cycle, which is awesome. Yeah. I hope I've got that correct. But yeah. So, you know, that's some really good news in terms of affordability yeah. um, of the process for some people. But, yeah, so, yeah, there's all kinds of different options and there's all kinds of different ways that families can look, I guess. So, yeah. you know, it's not, I guess, yeah, my message would be the same. It's not the be-all, end-all. Mm-hmm. Having infertility issues doesn't mean you can't have a family. Yeah. That's bottom line, yeah. Yeah, for so, sure. So, yeah. So, I know we've kind of, you've kind of, kind of touched on this, answered this a little bit, but... Um, before we kind of wrap things up today, I, I always like to ask what advice you would give other butterflies that are listening. And, and you've kind of you've kind of done that a little bit. But if if there was one thing that you could say to butterflies, what what would you tell them and what advice would you give them about anything? So many things just popped into my head. I guess you're perfect the way you are. Yes. I think that that's literally I can't put it in any any other way than that is just to know that everyone different anyway regardless there's so many disabilities syndromes unique things about everyone in this world don't ever think for any reason that you're not perfect just the way you are yeah that's bottom line advice I think everyone everyone has their own special uniqueness and that's okay like yes. you just gotta love yourself and own it and accept it and yeah. that's beautiful <laughs> and and so true I would definitely echo that a thousand times over it's 
I know mm-hmm. that butterflies, I see so many butterflies in different groups that I'm in and stuff like that, that mm-hmm. just struggle so much with confidence and their identity and just, mm-hmm. you know, so many different things. And, and yeah, that's just so beautiful just to remind there's so many other things out there, syndromes and mm-hmm. stuff. But the bottom line is we all, we are who we are for a reason and mm-hmm. we're, we all just need to embrace who we are and love who we are. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. I just think, I don't know, one of the crazy things that you said, what did your doctors tell you about this when you first were diagnosed, knowing that it's one in every two and a half thousand girls that have this, that that 98% don't make, that have Turner syndrome, don't make it to a live birth. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, Is to me, that just goes to show how strong and lucky I don't know I've got to choose my words wisely here but like you know how incredible it is that we're here absolutely Um, and I think yeah to not take that for granted and just your confidence and strength from that yeah for sure absolutely we are we are miracles and i mean we all are it's not just you know turners and butterflies mm-hmm. and you know we're all here for a reason and um, mm-hmm. we just need to remember that that we're, we're all here on this crazy planet <laughs> for <you laughs> every know, single one of us for not just reason. butterflies yeah yeah mm-hmm. and yeah we just need to we need to appreciate that yeah Absolutely. Everyone, yeah, everyone has their own uniqueness, butterfly or not, and, um, you know, all miracles to be here, so for sure. That's one of the things that I've loved about doing this show is asking that question because even though it's it's been kind of interesting because most of my guests kind of give the same the same advice you know maybe in a little bit of a different way and and it's just so wonderful because it's always so positive and we just need to hear that over and over and over again for we, sure we need that positivity of remembering to just appreciate who you are and yeah in our world today it's so it's so hard so i've I've tried to be that little bit of a of a light in this crazy world and just yeah. re- remind my guests and listeners that, you know, we're all important and we're not alone. You know, we're we, Turner Center Butterflies have a unique bond. Even if we don't know each other, we still have that uniqueness about us that brings us together. And and I really want to build a community of positivity amongst us butterflies. Yes. Because there's not enough of that in the world. <laughs> no. And you really are doing that. Like I've said to you on a couple of occasions now that I just think having a podcast that connects and just shows butterflies that we're not alone. It's just. Is awesome and yeah, spreading that positivity that you're that you're doing through this podcast, I think is you know I just want to congratulate you on that and just say that it, it made me feel yeah more positive and more included, and I'm sure that's true for a lot of butterflies out there. So you're doing Aww. awesome work. Well, I appreciate that, and and the the coolest thing for me is, I mean, I'm sitting here right now and. I'm chit-chatting with somebody from Australia. I mean, it just does not get any cooler, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So even if we can't meet in person, which I would love to someday, I would love to visit Australia, but... Oh, you always have a a room now to come stay. Yes, awesome. Um, So even (laughs) even though I can't be in person with butterflies, I can still speak to the hearts of lots of butterflies. And that's what I love about what I'm doing yeah it's crazy in this world at the moment with um so in Australia right now we're going through a pretty lengthy lockdown Mm -hmm. um 
so yeah, and obviously our borders have been shut for quite some time now due to COVID. And yeah, so it's it's so good that we can connect. You know that we have phones and uh, video call and all of these cool ways to connect with people from the other side of the world. Even though yeah, um, we don't know how long it'll be till people can connect face to face again. But yeah, yeah, at least it keeps us connected. Yeah, and that's right now. That's what the world needs. I'm telling you, it's mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Well, it has been such a, a delight talking to you this evening and this afternoon for you <laughs> today, Gemma. Um, <laughs> it's been wonderful visiting with you and I'm going to let you have the rest of your day and um, enjoy whatever you're going to do on your Saturday. <laughs> um, thank you so much. I just appreciate you being on the show and I appreciate everybody listening and I just hope everybody takes each of our butterfly messages to heart and can find some connections. You'll be able to make some connections if when Australia is not so locked down, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know if you're anywhere since you're close to Sydney or fairly close to Sydney ish. Mm-hmm. If you could, if there's any, if there's any groups anywhere near in Australia, in like bigger cities yeah. like Sydney or. Yeah, um, I definitely, uh, we've got, you know, like our own little um, Facebook and society going here in Australia. Oh, that's great. Yeah, but obviously a lot of those activities have been stopped due to COVID and I haven't had the chance to actually connect in that way because it's very rare that I get to go to those bigger places and I often have tight itineraries and schedules when I go, but I would like to, you know, attend a conference or mm-hmm. um, something like that when things can go back to normal like that that would be awesome yeah well there's still all different ways to connect and just you know I think I'm I just appreciate you being on the show and everybody who's listening and hopefully everybody's safe and healthy you know hopefully we can connect in person sometime soon anyway everybody have a wonderful evening and I will catch you on the next show thank you Thanks.